0: Hi, my name is Paul, and uh, I'm the lead pastor at Genesis. If we've never met before, or if you're just getting to know Genesis, we've got two campuses uh, I preach most Sundays over at our Noblesville campus, but always look forward to coming over here to spend some time with you. And uh, if we haven't met yet, I'll be up front after the service. I'd love the chance to say hello, and uh, we'd like to help you get to know Genesis uh, a little bit better. And I'm excited to have my family here today. And for my wife and I, we just recently celebrated 20 years together. Uh, believe it or not, uh, August the 1st, and uh, it's been exciting. And uh, you know, in many ways, it's gone really fast. In some ways, maybe not so fast at times. But uh, so thankful for her, and I love so much that for 20 years I gave her a brand new pair of socks. Yes, you heard right. And uh, we're not big gift givers. Here's why. Uh, and we've also done some fun things this summer, some things around our house. And so we kind of decided, you know, we're probably not going to do much this year. But a couple of days before our anniversary, I said to her, I'm like, hey, you're, Are you giving me a gift? And and she told me, she says, well, yes, I'm doing something very small. I only spent like $15. So I was like, perfect. All right. And so I went out and I bought her a really nice pair of running socks. Okay. And if you're a runner, you can appreciate nice running socks. And so I put them in a bag and I wrote a really nice card and I put it in there. Well, the morning of our anniversary came, all right. And she came to me with her gift. And what she handed me was this photo album. And it was a really, really nice photo album. And if you open it up, there was a really nice note in there. And then there were 20 pictures from the last 20 years that she had spent time and energy putting together, thoughtfulness, this wonderful, beautiful book, only $15 that she spent, all right? And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm getting ready to hand her a pair of socks, right? And so... You know, the reality is that I will never live this down, all right? I'm gonna live with this for the rest of my life. Now, why running socks, you might ask? Well, uh, we're runners, and so we came up with this insane idea back in June that to celebrate 20 years, we would run a marathon together, all right? Now, Jenny's done that before, I never have, and so we've been running, we've been training together these last eight weeks, and I'm becoming painfully aware of this very important reality, and it's this that here's where I am physically, and where Where I need to be come marathon day, and I got a lot of work to do still. I mean, it's going to take a lot of effort for me to get from where I am right now in my training to where I need to be as a runner. And you kind of know how this works, and in different goals of life, uh, you know, you you you, maybe you find yourself here, and and you want to be there. I mean, you think about it. This kind of plays out uh, in things like uh, fitness goals. You know, maybe you've got a fitness goal, and so you recognize this is where I am right now, but this is where I'd ultimately. Love to be. I think the same is true in our relationships as well. Maybe you're married and your marriage is good, and here's where you are, but you just kind of know this is where we'd ultimately like to be, and so it's going to take some work. Or if you're single and you hope to be married one day, well, this is where you are right now, and that's ultimately where you'd love to be. And so this plays out, all right, this kind of continuum in all sorts of aspects of life, but the same is true in our finances as well. I mean, you can see how this works as you think about kind of your financial reality right now, because if you've ever been drowning in dead or drowning in a pile of bills, well, you know what it's like to be here, all right? You know that insecurity. Uh, if you've ever uh, struggled with not being able to purchase the things that you really want to purchase, well, you know the frustration of something like that. I mean, for some people, I mean, maybe money isn't an issue for you, but unfortunately, it hasn't solved your problems. And so you can see that, okay, this isn't an answer to my greatest questions. And so we we struggle here, right? I mean, we. I think for every single one of us, we can relate in some way. We've all been here before, you know, when it comes to our money and there's this place them where we'd ultimately love to be. And as we think about there when it comes to our finances, well, there is security, right? Uh, there is uh, satisfaction. Uh, there is a place of significance for us and where we'd ultimately love to be. And the good news is this, and we talked about this last week, Steve kind of addressed this, that you know, our, our God, our Father in heaven, he loves us. And in so many different ways of life, he wants to move us from here to there. And he wants to do that for us in our finances too, all right, and the way that we view our finances. And, but in order to make that journey, here's what we've gotta realize. We've gotta let go of the belief that having more money will get us to where we wanna be. All right, that having more money is somehow a, a solution to our greatest problems because the truth is this, all right, whether you recognize this yet in your life or not, and you don't even have to be a Christian, I think, to understand this, but you know, money can't deliver on things like satisfaction. Money, money can't deliver on things like security and significance. And for us as a church, what we're learning, what we're really striving after is only faith in God can do that. Well, only faith in God can lead to that kind of hope and that security and that significance and satisfaction that I think so many of us desperately hope for. And as we, as we talked about last week, the, the vehicle, I mean, a big part of the vehicle that moves us from here to there when it comes to our finances is generosity. It's this practice of, of giving. Now, keep in mind that generosity isn't something God wants from us. I mean, it really is something that he wants for each of us. And why? Well, he knows what generosity will do to our hearts. And if you've ever given a gift before and you've ever seen it work in somebody's life in a really powerful way, well, you you get that. I mean, you've experienced that before in your life and God knows that. He knows what it does in our hearts when we give. He knows what it can do for our faith when we organize our life and our giving and our generosity in a way that's honoring to him. And so last week, we talked about the first step Right? We just kind of talk about a baby steps to, to giving and generosity, but this first step on the journey from here to there when it comes to our giving, and we, we call this it's about becoming an initial giver. Right? And we celebrate this. You need to know this is a big step. Like if if you've ever given a first gift, if you've ever given a first gift to a church, or if you've ever given a first gift to a place like Genesis, and, and maybe you gave consistently, or maybe you gave several gifts. I mean, those are gifts worth celebrating because it's evidence of what God is doing in you. It's evidence of a growing trust that you have in your church or in this church and what God is doing in your life, but you gave because God was working in you. Well, this week I want to talk to you about what it means to really get moving. All right, on this path towards generosity. And so I'm just gonna tell you up front, we're raising the bar a little bit today. And I think of all of the weeks of the series, this is probably the message I think that is most relevant to most of us here, probably the one that we need the most. And that doesn't say anything about me, all right? That's not what I'm talking about, or because I'm giving this message, but I, I just think it's, it's most relevant uh, for, for most of us. And so we're talking about, if you're taking notes, the importance of intentional giving. All right, we're calling this intentional giving, and this is where we get intentional all right, about giving back a certain percentage of our income each month. And we do this, we give this back to God as a way of honoring the Lord. And we do this through our church, all right, and we do it regularly. Now, when I think about becoming an intentional giver, I can't help but think about one of these. And uh, I know from the picture, you maybe have a hard time telling what it is, but uh, this is one of those little plastic church banks and uh, if you're my generation or maybe older, you, if you grew up in the church, maybe you had a Sunday school class or somewhere along the way they gave you one of these church banks. And maybe your parents used it as a way of teaching you generosity. And so here's the way it was supposed to work. You know, it was about teaching you how to give. It was about teaching about the importance of, of tithing. Now, tithing is a big part of generosity, all right and, and it's just if you're not familiar with tithing it's the intentional and regular practice of giving a, a tenth all right the word tithe means tenth it's a mathematical term it means 10th or 10% but it's about giving a tenth or 10% back to God through your church each month and so if you're a kid and if you get a dollar all right can that could be a big deal if you're a kid well, you break that dollar down and you take 10 cents, you take a dime and you put it in the bank and then you will have fun off the 90 cents, all right? Or you save it towards something else. And then when you get a chance, you give that back to your church. And so the same is true for us today. I mean, if you follow this practice of, of tithing, you know, if you if you get $100, you take 10 and you set it aside saying, I, I want to honor the Lord through this gift because he's my provider. And so you might give it to something like your church and then you live off of, uh, of the 90. And let me just say, I think teaching your children the importance of giving and generosity, even as Gary was just saying, it's a great thing you can do for your kids. I mean, I my parents are great parents. I think they did a lot of things right. I wish they had taught me a little bit more about giving and generosity because this is just something that I've had to learn along the way. And thankfully for Jenny and I, we've grown in this to, together. And so for us, tithing is a big part of our lives. It's a big part of our marriage. Uh, it's a big part of our spiritual journey. And I know that's the case for many of you as well. You, you've taken some bold steps. You've rearranged your life. You said, you know, this is the way that I want to live. And your faith and your trust has grown because of it. Now, as I said a moment ago, I realize this concept of tithing might be a new one for you, but for many of us, I'll just say, and I think this applies to our many of us today, it can be a great next step on this journey of moving from here to there when it comes to the way that we view our finances. And it's also an important next step when it comes to our faith and I think in our growth as followers of Jesus. Now, where did this idea of tithing come from and why is it an important consideration for us today? Well, I wanna look for a few minutes with you at a couple of passages in the Old Testament and then we'll flip over to the New Testament together to better understand what it means to become an intentional giver. And so if you've got your Bibles with you today, I want you to turn uh, to the first half of your Bible, really to the front of it actually, to the book of Genesis uh, chapter 14. And it's here in Genesis 14, I think it's page nine, uh, that we meet, him. if you're using one of the Bibles around the room, that we meet a man by the name of Abram or also Abraham. So don't get confused by the change of names there. But Abraham uh, played a pivotal role all right, in the book of Genesis and in God's plan of bringing his people together. And he, Abraham and his family, they left everything to follow God's call to go to a land that God had promised. And what God had said is he was going to give this land to them and he was going to give him many descendants. And you could say that for the most part, the journey, the trip uh, went It went smoothly, but there were some challenges along the way. Like at one point, Abraham and his family had to fight a group of regional kings who tried to assert their power by conquering the region. And Abraham and his team, they're going to emerge from this battle victorious. All right, you can read about this in Genesis. And they're going to return home, as we find here in Genesis 14, with the spoils of war, all right? Again, they're victorious. And Abraham is going to encounter a mysterious man by the name of Melchizedek. All right, and we pick this up in Genesis 14, starting in verse 18, and here's what the writer records. He says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. Now, pause right there, and I'll just tell you, there's been some real mystery, all right, around who Melchizedek really is, but here's what we know about him that we see from the text, verse 18. Verse 18 tells us that he's king of Salem, but no one really knows where Salem is or was, and scholars have a lot of guesses, but the best guess is that it's the place that later became known as Jerusalem, All right, and so he's king potentially of Jerusalem. But then we also read, and this is important, that he's priest of God most high. But this is also a mystery because if you know your uh, history at all from the Bible, at this point, the temple of God had not yet been built. All right, there were no priests yet. These hadn't been established. In fact, Abraham was the great-grandfather of the first men that would become these priests. And so how is it that Melchizedek is a priest Of God Most High. Well, I'm just going to tell you, it's interesting, to say the least. And there's all sorts of theories about was this really Jesus, right? They call it a theophany here in the Old Testament. Was this actually the representation of Jesus, of God himself before Abraham? We don't know. I think it's an interesting theory. But finally, to add to the mystery, Melchizedek is never mentioned before this story in Genesis 14. And other than a few references, he's never mentioned again. And so keep that in mind because we're gonna come back to it at the end of the message here. But here's what happens next. Again, as Abraham is carrying all of the gold and silver, the spoils of war, Melchizedek is gonna come to him and pronounce a blessing on him. Look at verse 19. It says, Melchizedek blessed Abram saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth and praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. See, here's what's happening. It's Melchizedek's way of saying to Abraham, Abraham, let there be no doubt. God gave you this victory. God is behind this. He is the provider of all of these things. He's given you the gold. He's given you the silver, these items that you've carried away. And this is so good and this is so important. And look at how Abraham responds. Again, I think this is just so telling for each of us. Genesis 14, the last half of verse 20 there, it says, then Abraham gave him a 10th, Of everything, and while there's a lot of mystery about around Melchizedek, here's what we know for sure: Abraham recognized him as God's representative, representative, and then gave him a tenth of everything to honor the Lord for His provision and for His blessing. And I'll just say this is the very first example that we have in Scripture of what we call the tithe, of giving ten percent, of giving or returning to God a tenth of everything that he has provided for us. And you just need to know that tithing became a practice or a regular discipline for the people of God from this point forward. You can read about it in places like Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers where God instructs his people to bring a tenth of all he blesses them with back into the house of of God. And we don't have time to look at all these passages today. I'm gonna put a handful of them here on the screen for you. If you can get a peek at them for just a moment of just different examples of people bringing a tenth returning a tenth back to the Lord. Here's what God was doing. He was shaping their hearts, all right? He was getting them into a rhythm of living, of being able to recognize that God owns everything. He provides all that we need. And our response in order to get our hearts moving is to return a portion to Him as a way of honoring Him, of say, a way of saying, I belong to you. And so the tide became a way of life. And people brought their financial gifts to the temple where these resources were used, as you could say, just to fund the ministry, really to fund the ministry through the temple. Now, fast forward a number of years the people of God would slowly begin neglecting this command. And so God responds to the people through a prophet by the name of Malachi, all right? The last book in your, in your Old Testament, right in the middle of the Bible. And really, this is one of the most well-known passages about tithing in all of scripture. And these words will be here on the screen for you. But look at Malachi chapter three, verses seven, eight, and nine. And this is God speaking through Malachi to his people because of their disobedience. He says, you know, whatever since the time of your ancestors, You have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, God says, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, How are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, How are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. He says, You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. I'm just going to be honest with you and say these words are a little disturbing, they can be difficult to comprehend. You know, God responding in such a way, those words that they have turned away, again, just pointing out that these people, the people of God have turned their hearts and their affections. They've put their hope in something else. They've made something like money, their God. He says, return to me and I will return. Again, it implies that something has drastically changed and is missing. He calls it robbery. In what? Very plainly, in tithes and offerings, or the practice of giving financially is commanded by God, and so therefore they are under a curse, and you can check this out for yourself later, but according to Deuteronomy 28, the people really did have a choice and recognize the free will in this. God wasn't making them do these things. They had a choice. There was free will here. If they chose to obey, they would experience God's blessings and His provision. There's evidence of that. Again, you can read about it in Deuteronomy 28, but at the same time too, there are also consequences for disobedience. And so think about it like this. The people of God had a choice. We can do this our way, and that's where they find themselves in Malachi, or they could choose to live their life, to operate their life according to God's way. And so you could say there's evidence of disobedience and evidence of past obedience at the very same time. And as we see here in Malachi, the people of God chose here instead to do things their way, and they were suffering as a result of it. If you're taking notes today, write this down in your notes. I think we see here, we're reminded that God blesses obedience, never disobedience. He doesn't bless our our disobedience. And like the Israelites, for you and me, we always have a choice. This is a free will choice, the choice between obedience of trusting God in anything and everything or disobedience, it certainly applies to finances too. And I think if I could just be honest with you for just a moment, and I've experienced this in my life as well, but so many Christians today are choosing to live right here when it comes to the way we operate financially. And in the same way that God is calling out these, his, his own people in Malachi, we've just said, you know what, we think there's a better way we think there's a better way. We think our way is better. We, we turn our backs on the Lord and what He has really provided for us. And, uh, you know, I think just some evidence of this, uh, this comes from Dave Ramsey and the Financial Peace University team. I mean, 78% of Americans today live paycheck to paycheck. And that's a tough number because I know there's all sorts of stories and some difficult stories and some very sad stories as a part of that number. right? But 78% of Americans, and then get this, And these numbers fluctuate depending on what research you read, but they're all in the same ballpark. But 12% of Christians today tithe. 12% of American Christians today tithe. And basically what we're saying is, you know, we're going to do it our way. We're going to see things the way that we want to see things. And, And I know some of the struggles, you know, we say, you know what, I can't afford to give, or I don't want to, or this is frightening. And so we we choose to live here, and I think the difficult reality is, and I've been guilty of this too, it, it's, it's disobedience. We're living disobedience and, and, and we're suffering. We're suffering some of the consequences as a result of it. But the good news is this. God offers a better way. He offers a better way, a better option, and it's one of obedience. And again, it's one that is better and one that he promises to bless. And certainly the nation of Israel, again, had some difficult lessons to to learn as a result of their disobedience. But here's the great thing. God didn't abandon them. He always provides a way out. That's the great thing about this God of ours. He loves us enough that he always provides a way out. And he says in verse seven, if you return to me, I will return to you. And then he says this, he says, he gives them another promise in verse 10, all right? If you skip over to verse 10, he says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. You wanna come back to me? You wanna start on a new way? He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then listen to this. God says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room in your life to store it. I don't know if you realize this or not, but there are 613 commandments, or commands given to Israel in the Old Testament, 613 of them. And all of, of all of these commands, this command to tithe is the only one where God says, test me in this and see if I will not pour out so much blessing in your life that you will not be able to contain it. And so that's the Old Testament backdrop for tithing. All right, and it's first seen practiced by Abraham till Melchizedek. It's established within the Old Testament as a commandment for the nation of Israel. It became a way of life. It's later reconfirmed, all right, through the prophet Malachi, right at the end of the Old Testament. Again, this promise for of a blessing for obedience. And I know some of you have to be thinking, that's Old Testament, though. Like, what does that have to do with me today in 2018? Well, let's turn to the New Testament for just a moment. And if you've got your Bibles, and I'd love to show you how Jesus affirmed the tithe in Matthew 23, 23, but we don't have time, all right? So you'll have to check that out for yourself. But what I want to show you instead is what I believe is the New Testament equivalent to the Malachi 3.10 passage. So turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I think it's around page 800 if you're using one of the Bibles here in the room. But in 2 Corinthians, uh, it's written by a man by the name of Paul or the Apostle Paul. We talked about him a little. Bit last week. And if you remember, he was a Jew, also a Pharisee, who was known for perfectly keeping the law. And so he knew the Old Testament. And he certainly knew this passage here in Malachi. But he had also come to faith in Jesus at a later time. And so now his eyes were fixed on following Jesus. All right? We've been making that effort as a church. We want to model every aspect of our lives after Jesus Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul did. And here's what I believe Paul most certainly learned from Jesus. And now he's passing on to these Christians in Corinth. Corinth, but also to you and me as well. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Here's what Paul says. He says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Sounds like intentional giving to me, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, this isn't the first time that Paul had addressed giving with the Corinthians in his first letter to them. Uh, chapter 16, he instructed the people on the importance of taking an offering on the day of the week that they gathered for worship. And so he reminds them here again, each of you should give. And notice that it's a personal instruction. I mean, Paul expected every believer in the church to give financially. But here's what's interesting about this church if you study it. It was full of all kinds of people, all right? Some of them made a lot of money, others not so much. And so he tells them to make a conscious decision it wasn't the same thing for all people but you make a conscious decision about your life and what the lord leads you to give and again he doesn't want anyone giving out of guilt you know he wants people to make a decision that reflects a move to trust god and that's reflected in his next words verse 8 when he says and god is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times having all that you need you will abound in every good work To me, it sounds like the same promise in Malachi. Again, notice God's desire to bless our obedience. And I believe the question for those early believers in Corinth was the same one that the Israelites were facing in Malachi 3.10, and it's really the same question that you and I have to face today. The tension that we've got to resolve in determining what it will take to move from here to there as it applies to our finances as followers of Jesus is this. Do I believe that God will abundantly provide for all of my needs? Do I really believe that God's word is true and that he will bless me and provide for me even in abundance for all of my needs as I honor him? Like, do we believe it? Do you believe it? I mean, is this a question you're willing to wrestle with? To believe that God truly is our provider? that he is able and willing to provide for all of our needs and that he wants to bless us and bless our giving and generosity. And if we believe that, well then doesn't it make sense to give back to him as he has commanded us to both generously and intentionally. You know, this is a big part of my story. And I say this humbly and and really for my wife and I, you know, when we were married 20 years ago, we weren't giving. I mean, this was so new to us and We kind of stumbled into it, and as we were attending different churches, we'd give a gift from time to time, and I think some good things came from it. I think the Lord was really working on our hearts, but it wasn't until 18 years ago that we jumped all the way in the pool, like from one week to the next, like a morning like this to the very next Sunday, and we set aside, we started setting aside 10%. And giving that to the church that we were a part of at the time. And I'll just tell you, it was hard for a while. And some unexpected expenses came up that really tested us and really tried us. But 18 years later, we still give today. Uh, We've been tithers all of these years. And over the last few years, we've started growing in that to where we give over and above. And I just tell you with all humility, but with great faith, too, that God has provided for every single need and in abundance Uh, because not only have we been able to give to Genesis and beyond Genesis to other things, but we've paid off every debt. We have no debt in our life at all whatsoever. And I'll attribute some of that to our experience with Financial Peace University, but most importantly to the Lord, because he is good at his word. If he says it, it's true, and we can hold him to it. And he says, if you will honor me, if you'll obey me in this, I will bless you, and I will bless you In abundance. Here's what I heard a speaker say one time, and I found it to be true in my life as well. I'd rather live on 90% with God's blessing than 100% without it. And so, my challenge for you today is just simply this if you're not already, I want to challenge you and ask you would you be willing to pray and ask the Lord to help you make an intentional move, whatever that may be, in your giving? And if you're not giving anything to God through Genesis or you're not giving intentionally, would you be willing to start? And to maybe give it a shot in the next couple of weeks and get started. And, man, if you need a finish line, if you just need to test God in this, maybe give for the rest of the year. Give through Christmas and see what begins happening in your life. You know, for many of us, becoming an intentional giver is the next step, I think, in the journey and moving from here to there because it's a heart move and it's a faith move. And when someone asks me, well, where do I start? Like, what does that look like very specific? I'm just going to tell you what I say, and we've talked about this before, but I say start at 10%. I think 10% is a meaningful place to start. I like the way it connects my giving to the Old Testament, and I know that Jesus affirmed the tithe, and I like the fact that it reminds me of so many stories of God's provision all throughout Scripture. But I will say this. We we recognize that while 10% is a great short-term goal or even a starting line for generosity, you need to know that it's not the finish line. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more uh, next week. But here's what I want to ask you to do. For every single one of us, no matter who you are, I mean, if you call Genesis your church, all right, and if God's working in your life, the challenge is for everyone who calls Genesis their church to be intentional in their giving, to decide in your heart what to give. And here's what that's going to involve. And I'll put this up on the screen for you. This is in your notes too. This is, your, this is the homework for the week because really I'd love for you to spend some time before the Lord with this. First of all, would you be willing to pray? All right, if you need to make this move, if you need to take a step, would you be willing to pray and ask God, what do you want to do through me? All right. And then the next thing is this communicate with somebody like if you're married, you and your spouse should be on the same page. All right. If not, don't do it. All right. Or uh, Dave Ramsey talks a lot about if you're single, you should have an accountability partner. So if you've got an accountability partner when it comes to your finances. Right. Talk to your accountability partner. So communicate, evaluate, like look at what you're spending and where you're spending money right now if you're like me, you'll find waste, right? I mean, we all waste money in places we don't need to. Maybe maybe that's an opportunity to free up some money for kingdom resources. But ultimately, here's what I want you to do. If you've prayed and if you've considered these things, then you make a choice. You do what God's leading you to do. But the goal would be for everyone at Genesis to pick a percentage, if you haven't already, and start giving and try it with us for the rest of the year And let's see what comes through it. And let me just say this. Do you know what happens when you start giving intentionally and consistently? You start growing and you start trusting like you've never had before. And you experience God in ways like you never had before. And again, I'll tell you, it's going to be hard, all right? And you're going to get frustrated with it. But if you stick with it, one day you will notice that God is really working. And what he's doing is he's moving you from here to there. And that's what he wants for each of us. And you know when it gets really fun? Let me just say this too before we close. It's when you're doing this and everyone else around you is doing this together and we're doing it as a church. And what God is doing is he's not only growing us as individuals from here to there, but what he's doing is he's growing our church too because he loves to do things through his people together. And he's using Genesis in greater ways to help people find their way back to God. Let me give you an example. Genesis Carmel, this campus, today's the official six-year anniversary of launching this campus. Did you know that? Isn't that cool? Can we just celebrate that for a moment, God's blessing through this campus? Six years. I mean, we started this campus with like 100, 120 people, I think. If everybody came on the same Sunday, which never happens, right? If everybody came on the same Sunday, we'd probably have four or 500 people here on a Sunday. This campus doesn't happen apart from prayer, faith in God, and the generosity of this church. We don't get here without people saying, I'll give to that. I want to honor the Lord through that. Let me show you something else. Uh, Nehemiah Vision Ministries, you all know, is the ministry we work with in Haiti. Um, I think I've got this right. We support them at about $18,000 a year of regular giving, all right, uh, that we send to them because we believe in what they're doing. But we also give an extended gift every year about this time of around $4,000 so that this staff team can go to the beach for a long weekend and rest and be renewed. And that doesn't happen without your giving and generosity. And so this is the thank you letter they sent to Genesis this past week that just says, thank you for giving us an opportunity to go rest and be renewed. And you know what? They're back on the job again, but they've got a gift and you were a big part of that gift in extending generosity to them. Again, next week, we're gonna talk a little, lot more about what your giving through Genesis is accomplishing through partners like these, but also a little bit of, wow, where could we go in the next 10 years as a church and how God might use our generosity to reach and to help others find their way back to God? The band is coming out. I want to finish up here. Give me just one more minute. Uh, but I want to finish up where we started with Melchizedek for just a moment. And uh, if you go to the New Testament book of Hebrews, uh, we find one of the other passages where Melchizedek is mentioned. And the author here, don't get confused by this, but the author here in Hebrews is actually writing about Jesus. And here's what he says about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6. He says, you, meaning Jesus, are a priest forever in the order of who? Melchizedek. And then he goes on in verse nine to say, and Jesus became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek once and forever and always. See, the number one reason for us to become intentional givers. See what, Melchizedek was for Abraham. Jesus is for us. And so much more. Like Jesus secured the blessing that matters most. Uh, He made it possible for you and me and others that aren't even here yet to find their way back to God. He gave us a purpose for living. And like Melchizedek, Jesus is a little bit of a mystery to me. Like, I can't help but wonder why in the world did, did God love me like he does when, well, I've been so unlovable at times. And why would he go through the pain, Jesus, on the cross to make me right with God? And why would he relentlessly pursue me as I continually stray from him? I can't fully understand the mystery but here's what I can do. I can honor him and I can worship him and I can choose to give back to God because our God is a generous God and I can respond in the same way that he's responded to me. And we can help others find their way back to God too. Will you stand with me? Let's pray together and we'll respond with this last song. Father in heaven, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your generosity in giving your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for your patience, your work in each of us, Lord. Keep moving in us, moving each of us to a place of greater faith and greater trust in you. Thank you for the generosity of this church. Father, for the things that you're accomplishing through it. Now, just keep moving in us. Keep moving in me, Lord, and through our church, your church, God, so that we can help others find their way back to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.